Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alex Bush. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, yeah, it feels like it's been forever since I've been on this show. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Anyway, it's good to be back. And uh, Alex, uh, we were chatting before the show, and you mentioned something about uh, interview questions and finding a job. So uh, you're on the job hunt, huh? Still am. All this virus situation throwing a wrench in all the wheels and everything yeah but um, are starting to open up though well yes yeah, sounds like it at least some states but yeah i recently published an article or rather revised and republished an article that i had published a long time ago mm-hmm. it's about it's sort of a collection of ios interview questions but not your typical like 50 interview iOS interview questions and answers or something and like right. randomly put together. I hate those because it's, yeah, it's like nice to get answers to that, but there, there's no systematization of any sort. Right. Like one question is about memory management and then right after that is about Viper architecture. I don't know, right? Like yeah. how are they related? The other issue is, is that you get it from last year you get that list and things change, right? You know, and they that, announce new yes. technologies at WWDC or, you know, somebody invents a new way of doing something and that's kind of the canonical way to do it. So yeah, they go stale fast too. So that's why I decided to put together this article for sort of group questions and pick those. Like you can never you can never know specific phrasing of the question that you'll right. get, right? But at least sort of a general Oh, you'll probably be asked about singletons, for example. That's like for sure most of the time on all the interviews, and especially if you're a senior too, right? So that's the kind of what I put in this article. And I have, I think at this point, maybe 22 questions. And they kind of go through that uh, kind of a progression of more fundamental, basic if you will, right. to, to more complex, like describe solid principles and what's mm-hmm. TDD and well, that Viper architecture, whatever, whatever other architecture do you know even? Uh, so yeah, I guess what I was thinking in this episode, we could go through them or just in general talk about interview questions like that. Either way, I think it would be helpful, especially now everyone's interviewing, right? As far as I can tell. Yeah, it's interesting because I've talked to a number of people and a, a lot of developers I'm talking to are fine. You know, they didn't lose a job. They weren't looking for a job before and they're not now. But it seems like this is starting to catch up with our industry and a lot more people are beginning to have this problem. Um, one of my co-hosts on JavaScript Jabber uh, lost his job last week and, you know, and so he's scrambling to find something. And yeah, it's just, it's interesting to kind of watch and then it's, okay, what do I have to do in order to get noticed or to get get through the interviews? And I've had people, it's interesting because both he and another guy that contacted me to help coach him through like, look, I, I basically reviewed his resume and coached him through a bunch of stuff. Like they weren't getting, even getting called back and they both have a ton of experience. And so... Right. That's actually, yeah. to, be, to be frank, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Not maybe not even calling back necessarily, but it's sort of, First time in many years, it became, there's competition. Like, oh, that's new. Because after, I would say after like three years in, that's it. There was like this cliff. 
and then mm-hmm. you're in so in demand, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. you, you, you could basically be a very picky and whiny entitled developer and just ask recruiters to cater for you. Now it's kind of shifting to other way around, which un- unsettling, right? On one hand, yep. but but then again, we're in this very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very uh, unusual extreme situation, right? So it's not going to be like yeah. that all the, for long, I, I think. Yeah, I don't think it will be either. The only thing that makes me hesitate about saying that at all is that this has become so political that it mm-hmm. seems like one side has gotten to, we got to keep it shut down as long as possible to hurt Donald Trump. And then we've got people who want to recklessly open it up to help him. Right. And it's like, nobody's talking about the facts. I have a pick at the end related to that but anyway it's so instead of people talking about you know where the line is they're talking about who it's going to hurt and that that just ticks me off it's just like come on folks it's going to hurt people either way so let's figure out as best we can what makes the most sense but anyway i will get off my political soapbox and and yeah so so yes yeah, so you've got a list of interview questions do you have it somewhere where i can actually look at it Actually, yeah, I do. You guys can find it on iosinterviewguide.com slash iOS dash interview dash questions dash four dash senior dash developers dash in dash 2020. That's my super SEO title. Wow, I feel very SEO'd. I know, right? I have time now to learn about this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into this, though, I mean, this is a question, interview questions for senior developers in 2020. So what's changed, right, over the last year or two? You know, what, what, are, what are the things that people are going to, you know, if I've kind of been skating on old or oldish technologies, what, what's the new stuff here? So I will, okay, uh, the obvious new thing is Swift UI. Although, actually, I specifically tried to avoid it in this group of questions because it's mm-hmm. still a new technology and we don't really know how properly to how to properly use it and what it's actually gonna what's its place in iOS universe right yet okay i do mention it so there is a question about i forgot the phrasing but something like what are the ways to lay out ui right so mm-hmm. sort of a bit more broad generic and the kind of the comprehensive answer from a senior developer there would be well you could you probably like your your go to would be uh, outer outer layout right that that's the technology the go to technology from apple but if you performance concerns you you for some reason you cannot use it again likely because of the performance you probably want to go with frames right mm-hmm. and there are very either you manually directly create those rectangles or you use one of the frameworks out there. But right. now, in addition there, and there is also Swift UI as an option to lay out views, and you can make, either go all in with it or mix and match with UI kit stuff. But as a senior, though, you should kind of know that this is an option as well today. I got gotcha. you. But besides that, the other new stuff uh, since last couple of years, I think... Overall, what senior developers get asked more on in interviews now rather than you know before they weren't, overall objective-oriented general programming design pattern and architecture questions. So like solid principles. That usually wasn't asked previously uh, on interviews. Now, more, right? They ask more. Oh, really? Well, at least 
in my experience. Why the change in focus there? I think finally the community is maturing and we kind of care about that because it's uh-huh. it's when a new technology comes out, right? Like React Native or, well, Apple's iOS, right? It's all about how the creator of the technology tells you to to do it, right? And and mm-hmm. use it. But then as people, as, as community gains experience with it, they finally real, realize, oh, this is not the only way or maybe not even the right way. And they develop and kind of evolve and develop other approaches. And usually it kind of goes towards the tried and true, which is solid mm-hmm. principles. At least that's what I saw before with Ruby on Rails. I don't know, Chuck, right. maybe, maybe you could confirm or not. Like at first everyone was, oh yeah, MVC, because Basecamp told us and then yeah. DHH and so on. But then eventually people are like, oh, well, OOP is really better, to be honest, and let's yeah. extract things and decouple, so solid principles. So something like that happens happening here. I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, like think in Ruby on Rails It's world, been around long enough for people to feel the pain. Right, yeah. Of exactly. having poorly and factored And people shows. build big enough apps too, to yeah. realize that. Yep. I think the last sort of example in the Rails world that I remember, the form objects, that was like the page form objects, something like that, right? Where yeah. you basically you just want to get away from the view, the controller thing. Yep. So you'd create these view controllers that would, yeah, they were essentially objects with all the state for the view mm-hmm. and or decorators. Yep. And so we'd architect these other ways of doing things that were right. just as painful as the original part. I didn't say that. <laughs> It's funny because well, I mean, a lot of it has gone back. Think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it's gone back to the simpler way. And then, you know, we just have other ways of composing, you know, our entities so that they are easy to deal with. So, yeah. So that's why I think kind of solid principles get asked more, right? Then another yeah. uh, new addition, what changed, asynchronous development. So what I see mm-hmm. previously, what you'd be asked mostly is oh how do i how do you make an http request right. and that's it and you say oh okay i use the built-in apple stuff an SURL connection or now an SURL mm-hmm. session and maybe you say like oh or alomafire or equivalent like a wrapper around it right? right but networking is only one type of asynchronous work there's ton of other cases right and maybe you want to do most of your work in your app asynchronously and then chain it and work with all of that. So knowing what GCD is and how to properly use it, Grand Central Dispatch for that mm-hmm. on a lower, lower level, and then an abstraction on top of it, an S operations working with that, that also gets asked more, again, of you know senior developers, right? And then maybe even any other abstractions and extensions on top of those technologies, uh, third-party ones, such as Promises, right? Promise Kit, or mm-hmm. uh, even RX Swift, because forget about the functional stuff there. It's actually a great framework for modeling work, asynchronous work. Yep. So that um, that that's sort of one of the questions there too. And then uh, TDD. That's another thing that I keep now now encounter more on interviews, which wasn't the case before. I think community is also matured in that regard, and we. At least some of the companies now value TDD uh, more than before. And that I was actually like a few days ago was asked about it. Like, what is TDD for you? And I went on this philosophical tangent. 
<laughs> I think that's why I didn't get hired. <laughs> but you still should do TDD. Yeah, that's that's funny. But yeah, I, I agree. You yeah. should be doing TDD. Because I think, you know, instead of maybe explaining what um, the process there, the red-green refactor and all of that, mm -hmm. I start to say, well, you know, my cognitive ability is starting to decline. I cannot juggle that many variables in my head at one single time and a moment in time. So I use tests to reduce the number of variables I had to think about. And right. that way, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, that's too philosophical. If you like, I guess if you know, you talk to another experienced TDD dev, they get what they, 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 he'd right. get what I'm saying. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's it's still interesting to me though that there's so much focus around the practices because yeah, for a long time it felt like we, we talk about iOS dev and yeah, it wouldn't even get brought up the testing. So also, I think uh, Apple finally gave us better tools. XC test mm -hmm. framework is way better. That's fair. That's fair. We we used to have this third party equivalents kind of uh, mimicking RS spec, uh, quick and nimble. Mm -hmm. They were fine, great, but they just, there was this little hurdle integrating with Xcode. There would be like something missing and that would just not fly. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's better. So probably that's why. Another big thing that now is asked more than before, functional reactive programming. And that's especially because of all the Swift UI and combine. Because now right. apparently FRP is cool. Because Apple said so. With um, I remember when that movement was just taking off, because I was I was hosting iFreaks back then, mm -hmm. and it was like there's this funky new thing called FRP. Yeah, it's it's same same to me. It's, it's just so funny how now it's in vogue all of a sudden. Yeah, so probably as a senior developer, at least be aware what it is, but maybe even better have experience with it. So yeah, so that. Uh, what else? Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. And now architectures. So that's another question that previously we didn't have. We didn't have at all. Large scale architectures, like grand what architectures, like Viper and Uber Ribs, things like that. In, uh, implementations of clean architecture. Previously, everything would be either MVC or maybe some extension from it, like MVVM, MVP, or coordinator top, right? Now, mm -hmm. companies build big enough apps that you, uh, some of them need a grand architecture that will encompass everything and rule everything in your code base and will allow hundreds of developers working on that code base. So that became something that occasionally is asked now. So you said Viper and what's the other one? Something uh, ribs? ribs? Ribs. It's uh, Uber came up with it. It's basically they took Viper and stripped it down and improved it. Uh, fantastic gotcha. architecture. So I'm curious now because, yeah, you know, back when I was hosting the show with uh, Andrew and Ben and, you know, all those guys, James. Yeah, I mean, none of this stuff existed. So I'm, I'm kind of curious with the frameworks. I mean, what exactly are they? Yeah, what are they giving you? Oh, you mean, the I mean is it MVC or is it? Yeah. Uh, no, that's decisively not MVC. That's sort of the whole point there. <laughs> okay. Uh, MVC, you could use it for your view layer if you want because it's a uh, view design pattern really that's what right. it is it's not an architecture apple but <clears throat> excuse me um, <laughs> <laughs> but essentially yeah so uncle bob's clean architecture approach right the, the onion layered 
onion uh-huh. architecture with entity being in the middle and then stuff plugging into it. Uh, what did they call it? Use cases or whatever. Uh-huh. Interactors usually. And then around that, you would plug in your UI, your database, your external communication, such as HTTP, and everything's plug and play. That's sort of conceptual idea. Right. So that, again, as we finally, iOS apps became large enough for that architecture being useful and applicable and actually very, very, uh, yeah, very important, useful to use, we start to have implementations of that. And the first one that I know of was Viper. So it stands for View, Interactor, Presenter, Entity, Router, and then RIBS. Oh, interesting. Which is Router, Interactor, Builder. Okay. Uh, um, but the idea there is that you're, in both of those architectures, you break your entire application down into little scopes of full, sort of full, uh, what is it? Uh, the vertical stacks of objects that encompass one feature, roughly speaking, uh-huh. to, to kind of simplify it. And uh, in case of Viper, you would have, uh, let's say, one screen, and maybe it's a very complex screen and it's broken down into three other Viper components that each responsible for only one portion of that screen, and each one has its own interactor for business logic, its own presenter right. for, for massaging da- data before displaying it in the view layer, and its own router to navigating to other parts of the app, things like that. And your entire gotcha. app will be composed of those groups of Viper stacks, for the lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. There's no name there. In RIBS architecture, there's a RIB, so it's easier to talk about it. That, that one group is called a RIB. Right. But yeah, and your entire app becomes this tree structure, and you route from one branch of the tree to another as okay. the user progresses through your app. But the fundamental idea there is that navigation and routing and the, this logic, all of it is sort of the drivers there are interactors for the business logic and the routers for the navigation. The view is just a detail that's not important. And that right. moves you finally away out of the MVC world and gives you a lot of flexibility to build composable Lego blocks. And that's what lets you have tens and hundreds of developers work on one code base and don't break each other's stuff. Right, because they're only paying attention to one vertical at a time. Exactly. And in large teams, so I worked at Uber and I saw it firsthand. It's fantastic where you could have multiple teams build their own parts of the app and effectively Mm -hmm. have their own sandbox and effectively have their own mini small mini app within the bigger app that is shipped as a one single monolith to the app store at the end of the day. But as far as you can, you're concerned, if you're one of the devs on one of those teams, you just have your little little mini app, and you get your dependencies from the bigger app target if you want, if you need them. But then everything else is in your scope, and you can do whatever you want. I gotcha. So, so now, sort of on interviews, that gets asked occasionally, at least about Viper. Like Uber ribs are not as popular. So uh-huh. it's sort of not as known out there, although they gave a, a lot of a few talks and wrote a bunch of blog posts about it. And I'm trying to actually evangelize it as well, kind of still working on a video course about it. But Viper 
I think it's five years old now, actually. But uh-huh. a, a lot of companies now at this point used it and tried it and kind of proven to be effective. Of course, there is a price right. for bo- in both cases. The price is boilerplate, like with any grand architecture. Mm-hmm. You'll have to write more code and more protocols and go through more ceremony to have even a little thing work. Right. But there's a payoff of this scalability. So would you, I know I'm, I'm kind of leading us away from, because <laughs> I keep asking about tangential things, but then I'm curious, would you use Viper or Ribs if you were just building an app on your own and you didn't expect your team to scale much? I personally, yes, would. And I would go with Ribs, but only because I am accustomed to it and I know it. It is an overkill, though, I fully acknowledge. For one single person working on it, even a team of five, probably, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, until you have 20 plus devs. Yeah, makes sense. But everything's in the little box there. You kind of, same same sort of, at least from my perspective, same sort of advantage Mm -hmm. there. I don't have to think much. There's everything's already laid out and where where things supposed to be. And you kind of become this, I don't want to say automaton, but you don't have to think much where to put things. You just chase the compiler and it will tell you that it doesn't have a protocol here or something's not implemented there. And you just write the code you would want to have. And eventually it it will make you put things in the right places because otherwise it won't even compile. So to me, that's uh, great. Gotcha. Well, should we uh, attack some of these questions? that I haven't already asked you about. How did you come up with these questions? Are these things that people have been asking you as you've interviewed? Basically, yeah. And then another sort of group of them is what I would ask when I'm interviewing. So, Because like mm-hmm. throughout my career, I would be in both camps, either interviewing, right. being an in, interviewee or interviewing myself. We kind of, I guess we, we sort of covered what's new for the most yeah. part. Um, so what's not new or what's... What's not new is Or probably, what, what's the basic, yeah, that you should understand. Right. Yeah, yeah, all the fundamental stuff. So what's an MEC? That's not going away. You have to know that. <laughs> Even as a senior, right? Yeah. Uh, I am curious, though, you know, to answer that question, what is MVC? I mean, you know my background, you know, mostly Rails, some front-end frameworks as well. Everybody thinks of MVC a little different. So how do you think about MVC with I was going to say that there's an asterisk there. What's the Apple's version of MVC? I, Mm -hmm. I think that's more correct question. Well, I mean, in general, sort of how I answer it, that and that seems to be kind of, satisfactory as far as I could tell. It's a view design p- pattern for the view layer. Mm-hmm. That stands for model view controller and uh, model is responsible for holding data. View is responsible for displaying data and controller is a glue between the two. Apple's flavor right. of it is where there's a view controller, which is sort of a more skewed towards the view side of it. So we don't really have a true controller in the true sense of uh, small talk. That's where the design pattern comes from. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, still sort of, you have to have that connection and that logic be there present there anyway. It, it just sort of spread out slightly differently as it used to be in uh, small talk. Yeah. That, that's essentially what I, what I usually say. But then other, other questions that sort of what hasn't changed, other fundamental stuff, what are the, um, what are, how do they phrase it? Uh, what are the core, uh, COCA core competencies design patterns? There's a number of them that Apple, in Apple documentation, they say dele- delegate pattern, observable mm-hmm. pattern, singleton pattern, 
and a few more that are sort of the basic uh, core competency design patterns of Coca and Coca Touch. So you kind of on any level, junior or senior, you you should probably should know that that that's very basic that hasn't changed. I know now with um, Swift UI, a lot of those now they're broken and don't work. Like delegate pattern, just it's impossible to do it with Swift UI, as far as I know, because you cannot really have uh, everything's a struct there because it's a function of data. UI is a function of data, so you can't really pass a thing that's a reference delegate object that's a reference and then send messages to it because it that doesn't get reassigned on every copy of that struct. I don't know. I don't know the details yet. Still figuring it out, still digging through it. But that aside, though, that's still a basic design pattern that you should know because it's used everywhere across Coca frameworks. And you probably should be using it when you build your own app, sort of for mm-hmm. your own view controllers, right? Or whatever else you have. Right. And I think another basic stuff that's still there is that H- oh, memory management. Actually, before that, memory management. That's always asked. What's uh, how memory is managed in Swift, for example, right? And you, you got to talk about uh, there is no garbage collector like in other languages. There is uh, ARC, right? Automatic re- yep. reference counting. And if you know about it, you could also mention that you, there used to be a manual reference count and we would count the freaking pointers, right? And we would add them and then remove them. And it was crazy. Now it's done for us, but you have to keep it, keep in mind. Now you have to declare properties either as strong or weak or assign things like that, so that the, you don't get the retain cycle issue. Are you building applications with Vue.js? Then you need to check out the Views on View podcast. Every week we bring in a guest panelist from the Vue community and talk about the interesting things being built with Vue or the changes coming in its ecosystem. You can find it all at viewsonview.com. Yeah, I remember when that was new too. <laughs> Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What was it? Release and... Allocate uh, allocate init. So that's how you... Yeah, 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 yeah. And that would give you a reference count of plus one already from the get-go. And then release is minus one. And retain, I believe, is plus one, right? Yeah, retain and release. That's what it was. Yep. And then we got those pools, auto-release pool or something. And then you would like flush it and deallocate or something like that, right? And only then we got the arc, I believe, yeah. after that. Anyway, and people old. started confusing <laughs> it with garbage collection, which it is not. It just, it automatically does the, it, it's automatic reference counting. It's, it's the renew and release. Mm-hmm. It just does it for you automatically-ish. You know what's funny? I'm so, so, majority of my time I spend writing iOS code and these days with, with Swift. I'm so used to it now. And the other day I was doing, uh, like I, I use TypeScript or something like that, like another mm-hmm. OOP language, right? That does have a garbage collector by default and no counting like that and no properties. I was kind of sort of a, at a loss. I'm like, well, but how do I sort of specify you know, which one's weak, which one's not. It is convenient and actually very yeah. elegant, funny enough. You don't really need, a, in my opinion, a garbage collector if you have that thing. It just works. Yeah, it's not garbage collection, but yeah, it's it's definitely worth knowing. So how often have you been asked these questions? They, those, the fundamental ones that didn't change yeah. pretty often. I would say if I really truly have an iOS interview, that's that's another problem with interviews. Half of the time, you don't get asked about the platform you're going to be working with. 
you get, you get asked the stupid algorithm stuff that has nothing to do with anything you will do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that. it's a 50-50 chance. But when those instances, when you do, though, uh, it's usually, yeah, they go through like fundamentals, memory, uh, delegate, other patterns. And then I think uh, the HTTP one, the networking part, right? Not the asynchronous work in general, but mm-hmm. specifically, how do, you, how do you do network requests? Things like that. Because I think that sort of what they tricky, quote unquote, thing that they want to catch you on, oh, well, what if you want to cancel the operation or something? Because you, you know, the, the user goes off the screen or something. So then you say, okay, if I use an SURL session, I do get this data task or whatever it's called object back, and that's what I can cancel. So I need to save it. And yep. then I can cancel the operation. So things like that. Yeah. But then other other times when it's a bigger company, right? They would it comes comes up. I think the the what I was gonna say the architecture questions specifically they come up usually in system design interview rather uh-huh. than your normal iOS interview because that's geared towards well architecture and design patterns in general. And you'd like whiteboard and wave hands a lot with the little circles and stuff, right? <laughs> and that's where you talk about your vipers and mm-hmm. ribs and whatever else you know. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the most common one besides viper and ribs, which are, again, heavy-duty ones, I think the most common one is a coordinator. Uh-huh. It's also, I think, technically a design pattern, but it's sort of used as a architecture. As far as I remember, it's like this. You have MVC still, but then all the routing and navigation extracted out of your view controllers into this coordinator object that, well, coordinates view controllers in uh-huh. your app, something like that. Interesting. I think so. Probably, now I think about it, a quick side note. If, if I'm building an app on my own, just like a single developer, that's probably the best one to go for in terms of the, the trade-off of boilerplate and the convenience of abstraction layers. Huh. So it really is down to architecture at this point. I mean, depends, right? Oh, well, yeah, but... It's a team... So in my experience, it's a team size. What I lately, especially actually interviewing now, what I observed several times now, maybe more than three actually, smaller teams, like less than 10 people, let's say, they already usually have an established way of how they do things in their code base, especially if they already have an app built out. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's an MVVM that, that they mostly use, or it's MVP that they mostly use, or this coordinator thing. They tend to look for people who, quote unquote, think the same way. Okay. Meaning they want you to kind of be familiar and on board with that approach that they're already taking. They're not looking to diverge or expand or bring new architecture or design pattern in. Okay. So good and bad, I guess. If you're on board with that as well, you'll fit very well. I do not fit much, <laughs> I guess, personally, because I'm That's like, funny. oh, you know, I know there's other ways of doing stuff. Maybe we should give it that a shot. They're like, no, we want more alignment with how we do things. I almost literally got that reply at some point. Oh, wow. So it's it's a very, like, iOS community is very opinionated in that way. I would imagine, actually, Chuck, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's kind of the same way in Rails, right? So there's either this MVC camp of, like, DHH said so because, you know, he's the prophet, mm-hmm. or or there is this OOP camp 
where they explore stuff and do something else. I'm simplifying, of course. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely the people that want to do it the standard Rails way, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll go way out of their way to do things the way that Rails kind of expects them to do it. It's it's you know how I like sort of the best example there and that in Rails world for me is a ORM choice. You either go with Active Record or you go with the Objective Oriented ORM, and I think that's sort of the split of like your mindset about it. You either want the yes control and, no. and or you want the convenience of the conventions. Yeah, nowadays though it's more in line with. I mean, you'll switch ORMs if you switch databases. But yeah, you'll see people pick up like Haml or Slim or something for the view layer instead of uh, ERB HTML templates. Or you'll see people pick up a, fr- a front-end framework, right, and go API routes where Rails tends to, if you're going to stick to kind of the Rails pattern, you're going to pick up something like Stimulus and then you're going to do HTML and then you're going to sprinkle the JavaScript over the top of it, which is a very DHH way of putting it. And so, yeah, you know, you'll you'll vary on some of these things and then you'll stick to the Rails way on other things. If you're upgrading an old app, a lot of times they want you to fit like active, into active storage instead of just using a, a library that connects to AWS or active job instead of directly calling into your uh, job system. So mm-hmm. it's stuff like that. Rails has added some of these features and people just aren't using them where they are. Like people will fully embrace them and just pull them in. So yeah, I think that sort of overall kind of covers the article, actually, to be honest. There's a few more things that we didn't touch upon, like uh, debugging in uh, your code and profiling your code. That mm-hmm. gets asked more now as well. To Roughly speaking, how to use instruments uh, application. But no one really expects you to be like super proficient and know how to set it up in your sleep or something. No, it is like, have you used it? What? Yes, what you used it for. Oh, there's performance on the main thread or something. And that's kind of good enough. But right. if you haven't and you say, oh, well, I was like print, printing logs and then timestamping there to see the... Pro- that's the. I mean, it works too, but it's just not as good of a tool to do that. Uh, speaks for your experience, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to see where things are going. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's this whole Swift UI thing. It's going to either be make it or break it, in my opinion, the whole iOS ecosystem. Because if we really go in React Native or React, rather, route, I don't think it's going to be a good thing in the long run. But that's my personal perspective. Given my background with Solid and OOP and all of that and those grand architectures, I don't see how that could work there. Redux type of thing is not a grand architecture. That's another design pattern. Just like yeah. an MVC, it has a global singleton state thing that just doesn't scale. Okay, I know Facebook has it in their big, <laughs> big blue app or whatever, but I do have a friend who worked at Facebook, and he he's a JavaScript dev, React dev, and he uh-huh. complained about it because he says that it's just they pile up code that just doesn't. There's no proper architecture there, and they struggle. It's again like a big MVC on top of yeah. another MVC. It's it's just uh, in I've, a different I've heard form, that. and it also breeds state. That's another issue I have with it. In order to flip a like a button or a send, a, rather okay, forget about the button state and its color. Okay, that's that's technically state, fine. But if you want to click a button and then sort of a send a message back, yeah, I know you could do the whole callback chain hell. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, and that's usually you probably wouldn't go for the callback thing, 
you have to flip some variable state so that in some other part of the app, you get that uh, observable notification. Well, you just introduced a new piece of state just for the right. sake of passing a message. In OOP, mm -hmm. you just pass a message. It's ask, yeah. don't tell type of thing. Yeah. Whatever it's called. Send a yeah. message and, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's kind of going away and that's my fundamental yeah. problem with all of it. Interesting. But no one believes me. I'm, I'm like the outcast in iOS community. <laughs> 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 I, I think one of those days in, in my kind of, uh, uh, what, what's, the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? In my rage, fury of rage, I tweeted something yeah. where I said, I will write a, a, a book where I would take all the Apple examples of Swift UI examples and just rewrite them with like standard UI kit delegate patterns and it's going to be better uh -huh. and it has to be done. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't come around yet, but maybe someday. Maybe. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we kind of been talking for a while and I'm not sure what else to, to bring up on this. If people have questions that aren't on this list that they want you to answer, is there a way to do that? Yes, you can email me at alex.bush at smartcloud.io. That's uh, kind of my iOS email. All the iOS stuff goes there. Nice. And you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, alex underscore v underscore bush. I, you know, tweet about all this stuff mm -hmm. when I'm not raging. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually working on a bunch of other articles about iOS interviews. Yeah. Since it's sort of fresh, fresh on my mind right now. Yeah. All right. Cool. Oh, 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 one more thing. I forgot. I will figure out a proper link for it. Oh, maybe I actually do wait. If you want to submit a question for me to answer, maybe in mm -hmm. a, on a podcast or in an article, there is a link. It's iosinterviewguide.com slash submit dash question. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And then I'm kind of collecting because people usually ask pretty similar questions. I'll pick the most popular ones likely soon enough and just write an article or, or something. Awesome. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. All right, cool. Well, let's do some picks. So I hinted at the beginning of the episode that there was a video that I watched. I watched it last night. And it was a video by a Dr. Erickson from Bakersfield. And he basically just pulls out the numbers from uh, his clinics and then from the CDC and just walks through the numbers and talks about the basically what we know now that we didn't know six weeks ago is more or less how it breaks down, right? So, and, and the whole point is he wanted to dive into, okay, so what is the appropriate response now that we have data based on the COVID-19 stuff, right? And so it was, it was really interesting just to watch him walk through it. And, you know, initially there were a couple of things that he said, you know, with the numbers and I'm sitting there going, well, 
yeah, but those numbers don't necessarily mean what you're extrapolating them out to mean. But the flip side is, is that we don't really have any better metric. And any, you know, I was thinking that for the first 10 minutes and then he kind of pointed that out. He's like, look, we can't test everybody. So we're not going to have perfect data. So we're going to use this data and we're going to extrapolate it out. And anyway, it was really, really interesting because essentially the conclusion that he came to was that if you extrapolate the data that we have out to encompass the entire population, then what we're seeing is that the death rate of COVID-19 is considerably lower than we initially thought. And that it's comparable as far as like orders of magnitude is comparable to the flu, the regular flu that, you know, we get every year. And so then he was having the conversation. So, you know, we should be looking at opening back up. Right. And, and he, he wasn't advocating, you know, just tomorrow, go open it up. You know, he was talking about taking a measured approach and gathering more data and seeing, right. And so that, that's, that's the one thing I liked about it was that it, again, it wasn't aimed at proving that somebody was wrong. It wasn't aimed at proving, proving that somebody was right. It was just, you know, essentially given the data that we have, we, you know, it appears that we could start opening some of this stuff up and avoiding some of the nasty consequences of staying quarantined for longer. So anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. So uh, I'm just going to leave that at that. And uh, then my other pick is uh, I am putting together an iOS dev remote conference. So an online conference, because I believe that even after, you know, we start going back to work and going back to regular life, that a travel is just going to open up slowly. It's just reality. And the other thing is, is that some people just aren't going to be in a position where they want to take the risk of going out in public and being at a big group of people for a conference. And finally, the other thing that pushed me over the edge was, and, and I've been planning on putting this together for a while. I've just kind of been banging on some other stuff in the, in the meantime, but I'm going to get this together this week. And that is that WWDC went virtual. And by virtual, what I mean is, is we don't know what they're going to make us do, right? We don't know if they're just going to publish videos. We don't know if they're going to actually do live sessions. We don't know what that means. And so what I'm looking at doing effectively is, so the we're going to have a pre-conference. And the pre-conference is, we're just going to sit down and watch some of the videos from WWDC together. So we'll be on Slack and we'll just chat at each other, right? So if somebody says something, you know, we can discuss it in Slack while we watch. And then afterward, we'll have speakers. We'll have live talks, right? So I'll invite, I usually invite the hosts from whatever podcast is related to it, which means Alex will get invited. Uh, Sujin will get invited. I'm not going to speak for them, given that they're both uh, outspoken people. I'm I'm guessing that they'll be there one way or the other, you know, and then invite a whole bunch of our past guests and hosts. So hopefully we line this up and it'll be a lot of fun. I'm working on ways to do some kind of social interaction track in the middle of each day. So we'll just jump on for an hour. We'll split into groups and you can just chat with whoever you wind up in your group about what you're doing, what you're working on. And that way we can kind of get some of the community mingling, get some of the, you know, some of the things that we're just missing that we're not getting. And uh, yeah, just kind of have a good time together learning about how to do what we do. So anyway, so that'll be at devchat.tv slash conferences. It'll probably also be at iOS remote conference or iOS remote conf. I think it's iOS remote conf.com. But yeah, if you go to devchat.tv slash conferences, it'll be there. So you can go check it out there. And then I'm trying to replace some of the conferences that I know got canceled. So RailsConf, same thing, except I know what they're doing. They're just putting up pre-recorded videos from the speakers. 
And I'm like, yeah, that's not what we want. We want to, we want to interact. We want to have a good time. We want to talk about, you know, rails. So same deal there. Uh, incidentally, I brought it up. The React Native conference also got canceled in July. So I'm going to put, put one on for that community because we have a podcast for them. And yeah, I'm just going to work it that way. I may go back around and do another set that are at night for, mm-hmm. for the U.S. so that it's more convenient times for Europe. Uh, we'll just have to see how that goes. But uh, anyway, if you're interested, iOS dev, sorry, iosremoteconf.com. The call for proposals will be open until probably mid-May. So just keep an eye out for that. And yeah, um, if you want to run a remote conference, I'm also putting together a remote, remote conference playbook.com. And if you get on the mailing list, you'll start getting tips and ideas on how to run a remote conference. And then once I have enough people on the list and I have enough of the course completed, then I'll allow people to sign up and I'll, I'll wind up selling that. So if, if you're in another community, you know, it's like, well, this is an iOS front end app for a Java backend and I do both and I wish there was a Java conference, then, you know, you can kind of pull something together. Or if you want uh, my team to do it, they're going to follow that playbook. So, you know, if somebody wants to help me do it and I don't have the expertise, then yeah, same deal. Anyway, those are my picks. Uh, Alex, what are your picks? Before, before the picks, quick side note, a few episodes back, we talked about taking WWDC videos and like cutting the silence and just getting like the 10 minutes out of them of the, mm-hmm. the nitty gritty details. I actually tried to do that. And I did with one uh, WWDC, 2019 WWDC video. And then I uploaded it to uh, YouTube and they shut me down. They said it was spam. So it's not coming out. I'll probably like do some other storage and maybe publish it on my own website. But unfortunately, probably most people won't be able to find it because, you know, YouTube's search engine is just magic. So yeah, that's unfortunate. Anyway, picks. So I have two. Uh, One is Robert Heinlein's book, Time Enough for Love. It's what I'm reading right now. I, I got hooked on that author. After I read the Starship Troopers, a ah, fantastic book. So this, uh, just a little kind of preview, the setting is probably like 2,000 years in the future. Humanity colonized a bunch of planets and developed technologies, eugenics technologies, specifically cloning and everything, like things like that, mm-hmm. to effectively prolong anyone's life indefinitely. You just have to, every 300 years or so, do like a rejuvenation thing, procedure, and then you live another 300 years. So effectively, you can live forever. And the main character there is, or as far as I could tell, I'm still maybe one-fifth through the book only, is the senior. The senior is the oldest human alive. He was was born in the beginning of the 20th century. And there, kind of, he wanted to kill himself because he is sick of living so long but they kept him alive because they want to get his wisdom about life because he's the oldest human alive Mm -hmm. and then that i'm still reading through it but it's it's fascinating i love it it's like so much um well wisdom right nuggets of gold there that you read of about human behavior and sort of this truths of life if you will yeah interesting it reminds me a little bit of jupiter ascending is that the name of the movie? I think anyway, so, yeah. yeah, I haven't so, seen it yeah. though. <laughs> if if you're bored and you have Netflix, it's it's not it's not a movie that I'm like, oh, I, you got to go buy it, right? But it was okay. Anyway. And another pick, a bit of a self plug. <laughs> 
I am working on a system design interview course. So it's sort of what we talked about today, interview questions, but the, those about architecture, the, those that you likely be asked on a system design interview at lo- likely large organizations, bigger companies. Mm-hmm. So that's a sort of a, a thing on its own, how to tackle that and how to do all the whiteboarding for that and what to focus on as you, you know, only have like 45 minutes for that interview, right? What to talk about. So I'm putting together a video course about that iOS specifically, because you can find a lot of system design interview questions and answers and advice out there on the internet. But for a general, it's usually going to be a backend thing of sorts, mm-hmm. like how to build a bunch of service, server system, microservices. That's not applicable for iOS at all. And on iOS, it's gonna, likely going to be that, oh, how do you structure your app or your e-commerce app so that many, many developers can work on that product screen that sells products. That's a very complex thing and you have to approach it with like Viper architecture or something to achieve that. So it tackles that. And it's um, iosinterviewguide.com slash system dash design dash interview. Cool. All right. Well, this was fun. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it helps some folks out with uh, the whole job search thing. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this up until next time, folks. Max out. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.